years. And you may be feeling the same way, but I remember for me, for years, especially after I was saved, before I was saved, it really didn't bother me what I was doing. It really wasn't a problem other than maybe a social difficulty that I was doing something wrong and I'd get in trouble for it at school or someone would say something to me or correct me. It was a social thing before salvation. But after I was saved, I began to be burdened by a sin and be convicted by that which was in me, and I, for years, struggled and struggled against this stuff, experiencing little success or freedom. on a couple of little areas here and there. And lived for so many years under the bondage and the control of that which was evil. I knew to repent. The Bible says what? Repent. But I tried to repent. And I found that it wasn't working. Not because repentance doesn't work, but because I wasn't understanding it clearly enough. See, there's nothing wrong with biblical repentance. It is the way God has ordained that we should walk. It is a great tool and weapon against sin. The result of which is the fruit of the Spirit and the pleasure of God. I just didn't know how to do it. I thought that, you know, I could make a decision. Oh, I did something wrong. Oh, I repent of that. I repent of that. I repent. Don't raise your hand, but I think that many of us either have or are living in that place that I've done something wrong, I realize I've been wrong, I repent, I repent. It just didn't work. Because the issue of repentance, which is the work of the power of the Holy Spirit to free me from the bondage of sin, wasn't operative. And I actually began to be worried, maybe repentance doesn't really work. Maybe I will never experience the freedom that I know I needed and I wanted. And I was even commanded by God to experience. Lord knows I wanted to be free. There was no desire of lack of wanting. It was how to put the wanting in the right activity. So that the wanting and the activity and the tool or the weapon that is raised up to deal with the wanting effectively could go ahead and do the work. And for years I walked in the frustration. It's easy for you to laugh. You're not up here. The frustration of failure. Frustralia. Well, look, there are all kind of new words coming out of this technology era. Frustralia is a wonderful word. Frustralia. <laughs> in the frustration of failure. How many of you, even maybe now, are experiencing a level of frustration? Are you really? Seriously? Yes. See, there's nothing worse. I don't believe there's anything worse than knowing what sin is and not experiencing victory over it. I think it's the worst thing in my life. I know it was the worst thing in my life. So you see, in order for us to walk free, 
not just from the activity, but, but from the domination of sin, its control, its continuance in our life as a pattern of living. No matter what category, no matter whether it's a feeling, whether it's an attitude, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a desire, whether it's an action, no matter what the category is, no matter how large or small we may think it is, in order for us to be free, we must come to the realization first that we cannot overcome our sin by our own decision to repent by our own actions. It won't work. It just won't work. Just stop saying, I repent. Stop it. Put it out of your vocabulary. Well, Peter, we told to repent. Yes, God has told us to repent. He's told us what we should do, not necessarily what we could do. And there's a difference. I'm going to develop this, but this is what freed me. When God began to show me this, only and you know, I should know this, I should have known this, and we all should know it. Only the work of God's grace overcomes our sin. Only the work of God's grace overcomes our sin. Only the work of God's grace overcomes our sin. And grace is God's gift to us, not our work for Him. Grace is God's gift to us in which we receive, take, we live, and we walk and work in the midst of and as a result of that grace. But it is not something that we build up and try and attempt and wrestle on our own. Mama, where are you? Come on down here. We have a testimony this morning that we wanted to share concerning freedom. To show you that God does still free and that He will continue to free. I'll have mercy on you. You won't have to climb the stairs. Can everybody see Mary Richard? Affectionately known as Mama. Come on, put on those spectacles, girl. You know you can't see without them. I commiserate with these blind people. <laughs> the day um, that Danny Jones asked if anyone wanted to be let out of their jail cells to remain standing for prayer. And so I began asking the Lord to free me from me, from myself, and from I, because it was not good. I wanted all of God, and I also wanted very much to be free from the pain of losing Raymond. Yes. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And I made a choice at that time to hold on to the truth, even though my feelings truly were not there. I can't say that I was angry with God, but I was hurting, and I didn't understand God's plan. I wanted to know why God didn't deliver my son, Raymond, from his drug addiction here and set him free here so that Jordan could have her daddy and I could have my son. When summer came around and the anniversary of his death got closer, my grief got even greater. So through this time, I was encouraged by Pastor Peter to celebrate the anniversary of the best year of Raymond's life, free from sin, free from drugs, and rejoicing with the Lord. 
And we truly did celebrate this, and we had a party. Through this time, I was encouraged very, very much by the work that God was doing. At this time, God was really dealing with me. And I began pressing in more and more because I was so sick of crying. I was sick of thinking about the chain of events that took place in July of 2005. And as Pastor Peter mentioned in one of his freedom sermons, he said, in order to have freedom, you must fight and die for it. Being willing to die in an attempt to lay hold of these cherished and promised freedom. I continued to stand for the truth day in and day out. And so on Friday morning, August 4th, 2006, while I was having my quiet time with the Lord, I began praying in total thanksgiving to God for taking Raymond from this world where he was so tormented and thanking God for loving my son more than I do. Because of my selfishness, I wanted Raymond here, and he was so miserable here. However, when God took him from this place of torment, the enemy could no longer tempt him. So on that day, I began singing praises to the Lord, give thanks to the Holy One. And then a few hours later, our ladies group met for prayer. And all all I could do at this meeting was pray out to the Lord in such freedom and thanksgiving for taking Raymond home to be with him. For the first time, feeling and knowing that in 13 months, this was the first time in 13 months that I truly had a thankful heart, knowing that. By holding on to the truth, I now genuinely own those feelings, and those feelings are my gift from God, and I am out of that cell of grief. Thank you, girl. Thanks a lot. Amen. God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. Father. how good you are to seek and to save us who were lost to pay the greatest price in order to have the greatest glory. Father, thank you so much that we We're not only rescued from the dominion of sin, but now we are being rescued from its continuing activity in us. Father, you are freeing the church. Father, there are people in this church who are walking in areas of freedom today that they were not experiencing that eight weeks ago. Father, we are praying that eight weeks from now there will be more freedom stories. Thank You for this. Thank You, Father, that as we are unbound, as Jesus told the people to unbound Lazarus, Father, that as we are unbound by the grave clothes of sin, we are free to rejoice and to dance and to serve You, and to worship, and to mature in Christ. Thank You for this. Father, use Your Word today. Oh, Father, speak to our hearts. Minister to us Your truth. And today, Father, cause us to have greater revelation 
greater ability in Christ to walk free in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared that I was not having any success in what I considered was a protracted battle against issues in my life. As I said, I wasn't using the wrong weapon or tool. I didn't know how to use it. Just didn't know how. So this morning, let's talk about the great tool, the great weapon of God for freedom. It's called repentance. Metaneo, repentance. Is repentance necessary? Remember what Mark 1.15 said. Jesus, first sermon that He's preaching, the first sermon that He preaches, He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We can't be saved outside of repentance. Repentance is a prerequisite for our being saved. And it's not only a prerequisite for our being saved, but now once having been saved... That same activity and power of God to do the work of salvation in our hearts, to bring it to us in a reality that it is ours, is still available for us to continue that work of salvation which begins with our being born again and continues as God over a period of a lifetime continues to transform us and conform us into the image of His Son. So repentance is a continuing need in our life. Remember in Revelation, in Revelation 2.5, the Holy Spirit is talking to the church at Ephesus. And He says this, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. Repentance necessary for being saved and repentance necessary for maturing in Christ, for being transformed, for being conformed to the image of of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is the source of repentance? Here is where the Lord showed me something that it's in the Bible, you know, it's there, but how many of us have read the verses of the Bible many, many times and all of a sudden we read something one day and it is as if it had never been there or as if we had never seen it. Like, oh! And we go running to somebody and show him this and say, well, that's been there for 2,000 years. Or Pastor Keith talked about it last week. Where were you? Let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning, not only to open our intellectual minds, but our hearts to the truth that He's telling us. Repentance. Repentance is not a decision that I make. Repentance is not something that I do. Repentance is God's gift to me, which I receive and having received it, walk in the good of it. Turn to 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Hopefully, when you come to church, you bring your Bibles. And hopefully, you will take notes. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. You notice I may not open my Bible, but I have it written here, so... One person accused me one time as I was reading Scripture and went through here and at the end of it said, you didn't read from the Bible. Well, it's, it's easier for me to do this rather than fumble around and maybe drop the Bible and all that. So if you forgive me for 
not having an open Bible before you. If you feel better about it, I'll do this. Okay, now. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, giving him instruction. And toward the end of the verse on verse 25, from the New American Standard, he says, that God may grant them repentance. Now, would you underline or highlight whatever it is that you do in your Bible? Hopefully you use your Bible as a workbook, not as an untouchable volume. That God may grant repentance. Wow. I had never seen that before. <laughs> Granting is an activity of God's grace. That God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. How many of us need to come to our senses in a greater way as to sin? Repentance, but it is granted by God. And escape from the snare of the evil having been held captive to do His will. Isn't that what we are looking for? Isn't that what we have been shown that we need and we want during these last seven weeks? He talked last week about battling and dying and fighting. Well, today we're talking about taking up the weapon in order to do what we're commanded to do. Repentance. You see, my error was Repentance is from God, not from me. I thought repentance was a decision I made. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to repent of that. I never say anymore, I will repent of anything. Because I cannot. I tried it for too long. It doesn't work. God grants repentance. Why? To transform us. You see, because repentance now is from God, how do we get this repentance which God grants? What does James 4.2 say at the end of the verse? You have not because you ask not. What did Jesus say? Ask and you shall receive. Therefore, when I am convicted and confronted with the reality of sin in me, no matter how large or small it might be, no matter in what category, or the reason for the eliciting of the sin activity. I must ask God to grant me His grace of repentance. And He does this in order that we will experience the transformation that He gives. And asking must not be double-minded Remember what James says, let not the man who is double-minded thinks that he will get anything from God, because he won't. And so when we ask, we must really mean, God, please grant me the repentance that I need to have from You, the power of Your grace, so that I genuinely can be set free from serving this sin as it has captured me all these days, and even new sin as it comes up. You know the problem with repentance is this. Godly repentance will deal with sin. But what happens is we think that once a particular area of sin has been dealt with, we're clear and we're free. All it is is God 
dealing with an area in our life of sin so He can go to the next area of depth and show us even more and worse and deep sin. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when God overcomes a stronghold in you, and you thought, Phew, now I'm clear, I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to be able to walk the life in a wonderful and joyful way. And all of a sudden you realize, where's all this other stuff coming from me? You know, I didn't realize, I apologize if this is wrong, but I didn't realize how much pride was in my life until the Lord took out a Jericho that had been standing in the way of me seeing the, or of Him revealing the rest of the promised land. You see, once the Israelites destroyed Jericho, all of a sudden, where would all these other people come from? All of a sudden, you have six other nations. Well, I thought this, you know, clear this out. We're going to be settling down and we're going to kind of... And all of a sudden, all these other people started rising up. Clearing the decks of the Jericho was just God's way of saying, here we go, get that big thing out of the way because we are going into some depth here. Amen? Now, repentance. This is the most crucial part of the sermon. I'm trying to control my voice here. This is the most crucial part of the sermon. This is the most crucial thing you will get out of today. Repentance is from God as a grace-granted work, which we, when we are identifying the activity of sin in us, we must ask Him, Father, grant repentance in this area of sin in my life. Father, give me the ability to repent. Are you with me on this? How to use it. If repentance is the tool, and since it is the tool, and since we know its source and its necessity, how to use it. First of all, what does the word repentance mean? Repentance is a very simple meaning. It means simply to have a change of mind. Now, when I change my mind and when you change your mind, more than just my thinking changes, everything about me as to the issue changes. Have you ever noticed that? I change my mind about a particular thing. My attitude changes. My motives will change. My desires will change. And so when we say it is a change of mind, it is a structural, internal, complete work in me changing me from wherever I was going or however I was going and whyever I was going to a totally opposite and different or whatever direction, resulting in changed activities. Because you see, I don't know my mind has changed until my activities show that my mind has been changed. You see, if I have a change of mind about not watching pornography and then I go home at night and watch the whatever TV programs these are. Everybody laughed at me last week when I ate the last time, HMBO. I get the thing confused. But if I say I have repented of that and I go home and watch this stuff, my mind hasn't been changed. Amen? Can you say amen? Is that right? If I still do it, my mind still needs what? Further changing. 
You see, repentance is not a one-time act. That was another mistake. I thought it was something I decided to repent. Boom, I repent, that's my decision, and now I'll walk on. Repentance is not so much a one-time act as a continuing activity which culminates and will culminate in a greater and greater freedom against sin. So repentance isn't something that I do today in reference to a particular area of sin in my life. There may be that kind of an activity, that kind of sin just need to be dealt with then, boom, and it's gone. But typically, it is something that I begin to do in relation to an activity and continue to do until the activity is completely dead. I've learned that if God is granting me repentance here and the activity is a hundred pounds of activity and I'm walking along and then the activity comes in on me again as 80 pounds, I used to think, I, I didn't repent. What went wrong? I, I, you know, obviously, I got afraid. I failed to realize that the activity, even if it's still there, has at least, what, diminished. And I go back to God and I ask Him for another dose or serving of what? Repentance. And then walking down the road of life again, perhaps I come up week, year, whatever later, and now I get hit by only 20 pounds. God is doing a work. I used to think when you repent, it's over and it'll never come back again and you've got to continue without any of the activity. I don't think that's the truth. Do I believe that sin's activity can cease and should be completely overcome in whatever category? Yes! But until it is, continue to go to God and ask for repentance. Until the thing is dead! Repentance is God's attack against our sin. I believe there are three issues in repentance I want to talk about. Reveal, deal, and heal. That's good. You know why I can say that? It's because I was praying one night and the Lord just dumped those three words in my mind. And so I can brag about that because they're not from me. Can't you brag about something that is given to you by someone else and say, hey, look at this great thing that someone gave me. Is that okay to do that? I didn't make this up. I'm praying and I've forgotten the circumstances and the Lord gave me those three words and said, hey, that is good. You see, God is a poet. A poet. Down in the parish where I used to teach English, it was poet. But whatever. <laughs> what are they? Reveal, deal, heal. You have to have all three. Sorry, you have to have the first two, which will result in the third. What are they? Reveal, deal, heal. Now, you know that when you were in school and you had to repeat things several times because you wouldn't remember them, and repeating them like that help you to remember. What are the three issues? Okay, thank you. Reveal. You know, I can go on sinning and sinning and never know it if the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me what you did was wrong. I'm not talking about social consequences of activities. We're talking about sinning and disobedience to a holy God. 
I can sin and sin and sin, and I will never know it. And as a result, we'll never be able to deal with it biblically if the Holy Spirit doesn't show it to me. What does Jesus say is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Remember in John 16, 8? For He has come to what? To do three things. What is the first one? Convict of what? Sin. So first, reveal. First of all, it isn't that I must go looking for my sin. My sin will look for me. Don't ever worry about, do I have sin in this area? Just give yourself ten minutes and you'll find out. I never have to go into Ashley's garden, which is right now filled with too many weeds, and look for weeds. What do we do in a weedy garden? What do you do? When you see a weed, what do you do? You get it out. How many of you go into your garden with your little hand hole, whatever that little thing is, and you start digging and digging and digging because I am determined I'm going to get the weeds out of my garden. You don't do that. You wait until the weeds are revealed. Now, once they're revealed, honey child, then you get them. So first thing, reveal. The Holy Spirit must reveal. Why? So as in Romans 6, 6, we no longer will be slaves of sin. But... And here's the catch. And you need to check your heart on this. And you really, I would ask you to ask God. Don't just say, that's me. Ask God. Do we genuinely want God to reveal our sin? I believe there are things about us, maybe all of us, but many of us, that are wrong, but we simply want God to stay out of the area. We don't want to be convicted because we know that once we're convicted, we may have to deal with it. We want God to stay away. Leave me alone right now. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. I've met with many in this congregation and many of you, maybe now, but at least in the past, have experienced this. I don't want to know. We must want to know our sin to be free of it. Remember Psalm 139 when David has sinned. Here's his heart to God. Remember with David and Bathsheba? Search me, O oh God. Oh, God, search my heart. Oh, dig around in my garden. Open doors, windows. Oh, turn on the lights. Do whatever is necessary to reveal sin in me. Is that your huge desire today? If it isn't, ask God to develop in you a huge yearning and desire and almost command to God to search you out. Because if the truth be known, there's sin in the camp. And the reason for some of it is 
We're simply not wanting God to deal with it. Amen? Once it's revealed, then what do we do? <clears throat> we deal. What are the three words again? See, that gives me a chance to drink water. It's a pedagogic tool to teach you to take a step out. What are the three words? Thank you. Reveal, deal, and heal. What do we do when we become aware of sin? Well, of course, you know what we do. We give excuses for it. You don't know how this. Well, you weren't there when they. Well, I didn't get an opportunity. What do you do when sin is exposed in you by the Holy Spirit? By the way, the Holy Spirit may expose it to you by reading the Word. He may expose it to you by someone coming to you. He may expose it to you in a hundred different ways. So when someone confronts you about a sinful attitude, please do not get upset with that person. If you want to get upset, yell at God. And tell God he's an intruder and you don't want him in your life. And tell him to keep his mouth shut because that's what you're saying to God. Ooh, I don't want to say that. Oh, yes, you are saying it. Let's be real today, okay? Let's be real. This is often how we are. When we become aware of it, immediately ask God for the grace of repentance. When I feel embarrassed, I've just done something. God isn't put off by your embarrassment. Embarrassment is an issue of the flesh. When you sin, or in the middle of saying, acting, feeling, whatever, in the middle of the thing that the Lord says, a sin, in the middle of it, say, oh, God, God, have mercy upon me and give me the grace to repent right now. Deal with it immediately. And if you can deal with it faster than immediate, do it faster than immediate. Why? Because only again the grace of God overcomes sin. You remember Romans 5.20? Where grace, I'm sorry, sin abounds, what? Grace more greatly abounds. So what does biblical, biblical repentance look like? I believe there are two essential and fundamental issues in biblical repentance. Two fundamental issues in repentance. One is an experience that causes or allows or empowers us to repent effectively. And the other is the result or proof that we have walked in biblical repentance. The first is the more important of the two. It has to do with God's grief. God's feelings about our sin. This is what caught me so off guard as to sin in my life. This caught me off guard. You see, when I sinned, my upsetness and anguish and concern was about how it affected me. Are they going to find out? What will they think of me? What will they say? What will happen to me? And I think that issue is important, but I think it's a secondary issue. In fact, I would not say think. I know that it is a secondary issue. You see, sin is about God. 
and how we make God feel. The greatest grandchildren in all the world are my four grandchildren. Emily is sitting up here this morning with us. These are the greatest four grandchildren in the world. You thought that I would get by without talking about my grandchildren, didn't you? You made a mistake and don't ever think that. The day I can't, the day I shut up. Well, let me tell you. The greatest grief, or at least among the greatest grief and sadness that I can ever experience is when these Children, one of them, all of them, hurt one another with words and attitudes and actions. It kills me. It kills me. See, Emily, it kills me. It's tough for Grandpa or Papa. I only had one child, so I didn't have that activity in our house, but if I see one of these children saying something wrong to another, being selfish, being mean, I am slain. I'm telling you, I'm sorry, I'm dead. And the Lord began to show me, you know how you feel about that? That's how I feel, but so much worse. When you sin, when your relationships That broke my spiritual back, that revelation. I had never seen, understood, or experienced and never considered it how God feels about my sin. If you and I do not experience God's grief over our sin, we will never repent effectively. Remember, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4. And the second issue has to do with the result of sin. I'm sorry, the result of repenting from sin. And it's the joy of the Lord. The joy of God. When repentance has finished its work and produces righteousness in us in a particular area, and we're free. And there ain't nothing better than the joy of the Lord, as Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Those two experiences you must have, I believe, if you are repenting. One is necessitated in order to repent. The other is the consequence of repentance. And both are from God. First, I must be aware of how my sin affects God. You remember these verses? I put them together. Luke 19, 41 and Matthew 23, 37. I just joined them two together. And here's something of how our sin affects God. We need to remember this and we need to dwell on this and we need to ask God to give us an ever-increasing experience. Father, what does my sin do to You? We're too much in touch with our own feelings about what it does to us. We will never be free in relation to 
only understanding and experiencing what sin does to us. We will only have the freedom of God as we understand and experience what sin does to our God. The Bible says, and when Jesus approached Jerusalem, you remember He's going to Jerusalem for the last time. Remember Jerusalem, the city of the great King, the city of peace, the city where the testimony of God is, the city where the temple is, the city where all the sacrifices are made, the city upon that hill that was supposed to be a light to the Gentile nations, the city where God's very presence in the temple was to be manifested regularly. God's great hope and glory and joy in that city as in us. Jesus approached Jerusalem and He saw the city. What did He see? What did He see? He saw a city in the grips of sin. And this great and strong man broke down and cried. He saw his own family being destroyed and destroying themselves through sin. And it pierced his heart. You see, this should be our first concern. Not how my sin affects me or my circumstances or what's going to happen to me. My first and maybe even only real concern should be, how does my sin affect God? What am I doing to God in this attitude, in this thought, in these actions? What am I doing to God? Is God grieving in heaven and weeping as a very sensitive parent would. Yes, I believe He is. You see, ours is a need to cultivate a heart that is ever increasingly sensitive to God's feeling about our sin. Otherwise, repentance falls short. And again, Psalm 51, David speaking in verse 17. The sacrifices of God, what are they? Are a broken and contrite spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And it's a brokenness over my sin. Not a brokenness because of what I have done to myself or even to my own family. It's a brokenness over what I have done to God. I found that even brokenness over what my sin does to my family was not the power to move me to be set free. It was only until I began to experience the crushing feeling of what you're doing to me, saith the Lord. Again, we must ask God for this. It doesn't come automatically. Ask, plead, persist, be passionate. Sinclair Ferguson gives us three ways to recognize biblical repentance. I'm going to go through these very quickly. You have them in your notes. You can study them out. How do I know I'm repenting? First of all, shame. Shame. 
the shame that I have put God to an open shame. Remember what the Word says in Romans 2? Because of you. He's not talking to the Hitlers and the Stalins. He's talking to the church. Because of me. Because of you here today. Your sin is causing the name of God to be blasphemed among the folks of the world. So a sense of shame. How do I know I'm repenting? I have a sense of shame. Not a sense to try to hide or try to explain or try to dodge the issue. A sense of shame over the fact that I have sinned against a holy and more than that. A loving God who sent His Son to the cross to die for me. Such a hideous death that I in anything of my life would ever dare to do what displeases Him and causes Him grief. A humbling. Oh God, my sin shows me that I am still and ever will be until we get to heaven and we'll do it there, but from a different perspective, ever in desperate and continual and utter need of God. Sorrow. A huge sorrow for sin. An overwhelming flood of sorrow and regret that produces a stronger distaste of sin than I had a desire to do it. Sorrow upon sorrow. I can tell you, I have experienced this. This is not theology for me. I know how this works. And I'm not pleased or proud to say that I've experienced it because it reveals issues of sin that needed to be dealt with. But we're all needing this. I'm going to blame this on God again because it came to me one night in prayer. Write this down. Go ahead, take out your pen, pencil, write it down. Ready? The teacher says write it down. I'm going to put on the blackboard, the invisible blackboard up here. How many of you are teachers in here? How many of you know when the teacher writes on the blackboard, that means for the students to do what? You better take notes. That'll be in the final exam, brother. Better take notes. He took time to get chalk on him and on the board. That's going to be in the exam, I'm telling you. I know that's going to be on the test. And then he fools you and ain't on the test at all. And so you study that and he got you with something else. Here it is. If you don't repent, if you don't repent, I'll give you time to write it down. <clears throat> Thanks for some of you husbands having wives here and other people to help you to write. I love being up here. All kinds of dynamics are happening out there that you're not even aware of. If you don't repent, you will resent. You will resent. What does that mean? <clears throat> When you are convicted by sin, when you're confronted some kind of way by your sin, if you're not going to grab a hold of repentance, if you're not going to call unto the Lord, you're going to resent. You resent the way they said it to you, that they said it to you, when they said it to you. You're going to begin to question God. Well, I don't know about that. And you're going to begin to be annoyed and become angry, to be defensive. Well, he doesn't know about that. And how dare you? Know, he embarrassed me. And that's the seed 
of a great disaster in your life. If you don't repent, what? You will resent. Let's look quickly at 2 Corinthians 7. Turn there, please. 2 Corinthians 7. As you're turning there, Paul is dealing with the issue of I wrote you a letter and in the letter I told you to do this about sin in a particular person's life and dealing with sin. And he said, it made some of you sorry. He says, I'm writing you back in a lot of things in this second letter too. Actually, it's the third letter, but whatever. And I'm writing you a lot of things back. But you know something? I made you sorry, but I'm not sorry. I made you sorry because the sorrow that you experienced was necessary in order to work repentance. And he begins to develop that idea. So that's what we're talking about here. Paul is relating to something that he had instructed this church that caused them great sorrow. Look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. He says, though I caused you sorrow, what is that? A changing of the mind about sin, you see? A changing of the mind. We're talking about biblical sorrow, not just sorrow that you got caught or that you got in trouble or that you failed the grade or you get disciplined or whatever, but a sorrow toward God. Judas was extremely sorrowful about his sin and he went out and hanged himself because the sorrow was about him and not about God. And too many are experiencing sorrow about yourself. And you're hanging yourself before God. For though I caused the sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, but now, you know, I see what it's doing. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. So first of all, sorrow is the first and most necessary effect. Sorrow. St. Louis said we must experience sorrow. Verse 9, where does the sorrow come from? He says, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Why? In order that you might not suffer loss. In other words, in other words that sin might not devour you and destroy you. Paul says, I don't want you to suffer loss. If you're feeling more inconvenience and annoyance about your sin, that's not biblical repentance. Inconvenience, annoyance, and all of that is about me, not about God. Why does sin produce in us such sorrow? Why? I'm sorry, why does God do this? Why does God give us such sorrow? Verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God. Remember, biblical repentance provides a repentance without regret. It leads to salvation. He's using the word right now in a transforming sense, not to be saved necessarily. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So the sorrow of a Judas over his having bought out Jesus, or sold out Jesus, if you would, led to his death because it wasn't a God-toward sorrow. Judas was not in touch with God's sorrow over the issue. Judas was in touch with his own humanity in the issue. Verse 11, biblical repentance produces in us a complete change of mind about our sin. If repentance is at work in you, you are going to be completely changed as to your mind regarding sin. Look at verse 11. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong 
in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Let's quickly look at these seven words that Paul uses here. He uses seven strong words that characterize the activity of repentance in us. In us. Earnestness. A serious and correct attitude and assessment about sin. An earnestness of what this thing is. It's not just a little deal. It's just not the way my mom and them were. It's not just because of this. It is a deadly deal in me. Second, vindication. An eagerness to be clear of our sin. Third, an indignation. A hatred of sin which results in absolute opposition to it in any form at all, no matter what the circumstance. <laughs> if any of us found that our children, grandchildren, had a cancer, would we take it lightly? Or would we declare all-out war against that which would destroy our sweetheart? What would we do? And yet our attitude about sin should be even more so because it's Cancer in us, destroying us, who are the beloved of our God. Who has God to develop these issues in you, in me? I can't generate it on my own, but God can give it to us if we'll ask Him passionately, persistently. Fear. Who? Fear the consequences. I'm here to tell you, I believe I love God. But I can tell you one thing. I am afraid of God's disciplining hand. I'm afraid of Him. Had to have one anyway. I'm afraid of Him. If you are not afraid of the discipline of God, I will dare to say this, you have never experienced the discipline of God the way you need to. I am afraid of God. I will say this in a good way. God will get you. And you don't want to be gotten by God. You want to live a life that immediately you repent of these things by running to Him and asking Him to deal with it. Rather than making Him deal with your sin the way He must deal with it because you haven't dealt with it. God is an awesome adversary, my friends. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, Hebrews tells us. Don't you get one of these theologies that God is such a sweetie pie and a loving man that He will never do anything. He will hurt you as to sin. I have warned people in my office, if you do not deal biblically with this, God will deal with you. And don't be surprised. Oh, you're not going to like this theology, but we're going to say it anyway. God's going to touch you somewhere where it hurts. I remember telling a couple that some time ago. They went a few days until they found themselves in the emergency room with their child. And he told me later, I remembered what you told me. And I got afraid. Thank God you got afraid. 
because he began to take soberly the work of God and the necessity of pleasing God through repenting. Can you say amen? Can we be excited about what God is doing here in this church? Amen! Fear the consequences, God's discipline, as well as fear of repeating the sin. I am scared as to repeat sin. You can fill in a blank if you want to. Julio, it frightens me to think that I might fall back into a sin issue. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it. Constantly afraid of it. Oh, well, you should trust God, brother. I do trust God, but I also know the wickedness of my own flesh and the sliveriness of that Satan. And I'm not ignorant in these areas. Longing. The longing here is a longing for the fellowship of God to be restored. Oh, my God. Give me back that fellowship which has been severed for this moment during this issue of sin. Zeal, a zealous desire for transformation and reconciliation with God. And an avenging, a strong desire to put the sin to death. Paul says, being ready to punish every disobedient thought. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What are the three issues in... Repentance, reveal, heal, I'm sorry, deal, and thank you for correcting me. I don't know what they are either. Reveal, deal, and what? Heal. Let's talk about heal in the last several moments here. When we experience these feelings about our sin, all that I've been talking about for 45 minutes, when we begin to experience these feelings, not other feelings, but biblically described and given feelings. These feelings. Remember what feelings we're talking about. Oh, I feel something about my sin. These feelings. When we experience these feelings about our sin, Our minds are being and will be changed as to sin and we will experience victory over our sin. Victory over our sin. I love that word, victory. Can't wait until we get into this new church and I can say it the way it ought to be said. Victory. How can we know we have experienced biblical repentance? I don't know if I've actually experienced it. Sinclair Ferguson, again, helps us in this. The Christian Life is the name of the book, if you're interested in getting it. I think it is, isn't it, uh, Matthew? Matthew is our librarian, our theologian. and Thank you, Matty. I knew you'd know. Don't ever come and ask me those kinds of questions. Matty knows them all. I don't know. I don't, I'm not good at that. He gives four evidences. Is, is, is repentance working in me? How do I know? Four evidence. First of all, I'm beginning to experience a renewed trust in God. Amen? A renewing of my trust in God. Oh, thank God for that. Secondly, a renewed obedience. John the Baptist tells the people what? Bring forth fruit in accordance to repentance. You tell me you're repenting? Let's see it. And if we don't see it, it isn't there. Well, I've repented in my heart. Liar. 
Liar, liar. What John, first John tells you, you're lying. It's good to say that. That's biblical to say that, right? Call someone a liar. Just have to be careful if they're bigger than you and whatever. It's like Marty. You want to call him a liar from a long distance so you can get away from him fast. Renewed obedience. The purpose of, of repentance is to bring us back to a relationship with God that produces obedience for His glory. A rejection of sin. Not only that particular issue of sin, but all sin whatsoever and forever. Total rejection of sin. Don't care why I'm sinning. Don't care where it came from. Don't care anything about it. If it's sin, it's going to be dealt with in my life. That should be your attitude. Deal with the other reasons for sin later on, but let's get allow the Holy Spirit to take the tool and the weapon of repentance and dig out the root of sin from me so that the fruit of sin may be gone and therefore I will be able to, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, look at my life more correctly and biblically and clearly and submit myself to Him to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which I've been called. Fourth, joy and peace. The joy and peace. You see, when... Some of you may remember this. When temptation comes to the door of your house and it says, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Repentance meets that temptation and says, I'll blow you out of here so fast you'll never be able to blow this house down because it's built with the bricks of God's glory. Amen? Let's stop being a people who are afraid of temptation and begin to meet the temptation with a weapon of repentance so every time that thing comes against us and it can huff and it can puff and it can try to blow our house down, but we grab the repentance and in the name of Jesus Christ, we watch the work of God destroy that big mouth Satan as he tries to destroy the work of God in our lives. For the Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And repentance is that great weapon of destroying the works of the devil in my and in your life. Let's rise up, church. Let's do what He tells us to do. In the beginning, I told you two essential experiences. We must experience the grief of God over our sin. And then we will experience the joy of the Lord over our freedom as God works the work in us. What is the result of repentance? Hebrews 12, 11, The peaceable fruit of righteousness. What is the result of repentance? It's the joy of the Lord as our strength. The joy that I have experienced and I think many have experienced here to say this, if I sin, this greater pleasure of God's joy in me will diminish. And there is no sin that has ever given me a greater sense of pleasure than God's joy. I'm telling you, there's nothing to compare with God's joy. You begin to experience 
the joy of the Lord over a biblical repentance. And that joy is going to be the best tasting food you ever did have. And having that in your mouth, you're not going to want to go to some fast food place anymore. You're going to spit the stuff out because it just doesn't do the same thing for you. The joy of the Lord will give me a reason not to sin. And it will always also protect me from sin coming into my life. It's just going to do it. I'm telling you, it's going to do it. If you will do what God tells you, you're going to say, hey, that old man knew what he was talking about. It is real. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? So that we will be grace-motivated and grace-empowered. Grace. Grace. Grace, mercy, and love. In order to please God in all things, 1 Corinthians 10.31, that in everything in my life and in your life, every attitude, every thought, every feeling, every desire, every motive is absolutely pleasing to God. And God is sitting in His heaven with a big smile on His face because of the way we are submitting to Him and being led by the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord. Producing grace-motivated, empowered Ability to please God in all things. Why? So that at the end of it, so that at the end, so that at the end, listen to these words from Jude. At the end of it, I have them written in your notes. Let's read these words. Here's the great culmination of the reason for repentance. The great reason for repentance is this. Now unto Him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy. With great joy, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home, my beloved children who lived in such a way as to be pleasing to me. Welcome home with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Why? Because we are His. Why? Because He is the Lord who is our Father. Why? Because He has purchased us with the greatest price of all. Why? So He can receive the glory as He gives us His blessings being filled with great joy as a great Father giving to His children wonderful presents and watching them open these presents and being blessed by His presence. And the Father is sitting there filled with joy as His children are being blessed by what He will do in their lives. Repentance. Repentance. Be aware of what it does to God mostly. Seek God for it. First and only, submit to His work of repentance. And begin to experience the greatest joy your heart will ever experience since you were saved. A life of genuine and continual freedom from yourself to serve the living God. Amen?
Let's stand together.